0: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you'd like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the 49-week challenge reading plan.
1: And as usual, if you have any questions, we love to spend time answering those questions. Uh, And just like today, we're actually going to take an entire episode to work through some of these questions that came in. Oh, dang. Uh, A couple of them are actually kind of fun. I'm looking forward to them. Uh, and the first question that we're going to get into, which I'm not going to ask no spoilers, but uh, I'm, I actually, I did more research than Evan. So I just want to show that I, I'm the nerd today. That is very uh, true. But if you have questions, please send them in to us. Uh, you can send them in at info at grove.church. Just shoot us an email. You could also uh, direct message our Grove Church Facebook page. We are the Grove Church in Washington State, Marysville, and Snohomish. And we'd love for you to send those questions in to us. So today's going to be a fun episode. Looking forward to it. All right, well, I'll read the first question since you've alluded to it. You've done more of the, the
0: research on it. Yes. Um in Exodus twenty four, nine, it says that Moses, Aaron, okay. and the seventy leaders saw the God of Israel. Normally, when Jesus is referenced in the Old Testament, he's the angel of the Lord. So did Moses really hang out with God?
1: Yes. All right, no, I'm question just well, two. No. Um <laughs> So in the the passage he's referring to, I think, Evan, you put this in there, so I'll read it. It's Evan's standard version, uh, also known as the ESV, uh, because Evan believes this is the best version, and I think he's full of it. So um, it says this. I'll read the passage and then kind of walk you through where my my research has taken my mind. So uh, verse six says, and Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood and threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient and the Mo- oh man, if only they knew, if only they knew, uh, verse eight, and Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, which are Aaron's sons and the 70 elders of Israel went up to, this is to the mountain. They went up to, because God called them there and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet as if it were pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. This is the ESV. I was like, what? I don't even remember reading this because I didn't read the ESV. Verse 11 says, and he did not lay his hand, and he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. And the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone, the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. Um, So, Here's where it got confusing for me, which is why I had to do a little bit of research. Um, Because first off, it says in verse 7 that he read the entire book of the covenant to him. And then it says later that God, in verse 12, that God calls Moses up to be given the tablets of stone. This is where we, uh, even if you don't know Jesus or you don't follow the Christian faith, uh, decades ago there was a show called the Ten Commandments. Uh, So the majority of people know what the Ten Commandments are, my assumption is. Um, Probably a bad assumption, but... Uh, what happens here is it, it becomes confusing, um, even though I'm kind of segueing segway, away from your question originally, uh, but it was really interesting at this time because what has happened is, is, there's also allusions to, I don't remember where the reference was. I just read it, uh, but there's one in first Timothy, but there's also one, and I think it's in Ezekiel, uh, but I could be wrong about that. But it's if no one can see the Lord unless they die. Um. And so part of the question is like, did they really hang out with God? And in the Old Testament, we see these things called Christophanies, which are uh, pictures of Christ. So that's the context of the question being asked. Now, what the the long and the short of it is, yeah, they hung out with God to a degree. Now, when you say hanging out with God, I think you're alluding to the eating and drinking. And it was almost like this big soiree party. Um, And the truth is the, there's a lot of ambiguity as far as the, the descriptiveness of Moses and Aaron and his sons and the 70 elders about whether or not they actually saw the entirety of God. Because even when Moses was put in the cleft of the rock, which is later on in Exodus, because Moses is like, I want to see you. God's like, you can't see me or you're going to die, but you can see behind me. Um, and so that's when he's hidden in this crevice, God covers his quote unquote covers with his hand, so to speak, to, bl- to not let him see him, but see the, see the, the back end, I guess you can say he see the, the backside, yeah. not God's butt, but you see the backside of God's glory. Um, as a youth pastor, I used to make fun of it being God's butt. So <laughs> it's not biblical, it's not accurate, but it just made students laugh. So, um, so what, what we're seeing is that the 70 elders almost as like, you just see a glimpse of, okay, I know God's there. Right. Well, Uh, even even later in the uh,
0: the chapter, I pulled up the full chapter here, mm -hmm. but it says um, in verse seventeen. Now the appearance of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. So there
1: is like you don't see much. Well, it's also anything they saw the feet. That's what it's like. Like where God's standing, you see the footstool kind of thing. It's kind of that picture. And I think most of the time when it's talking about
0: seeing God, God is. like God's not a temporal being in the sense of like He has a definite form, yeah. And He's just like so like there is the, most of the time in the Bible when it's talking about seeing God, it's talking about um, seeing the glory of God revealed. Is, yeah. is the is the language that's used, but not in the sense of like this is the definite what God looks like. Yeah, and and there you go. Except with the exception of when it's talking about Jesus in the flesh mm. in the New Testament. And I remember
1: I remember hearing something years ago about that same thing in the sense of like when God is described in His being in the Old Testament. It's described in things that are uncontainable, in wind, in fire, in yeah. um, a, a pillar of cloud. Um, he's described in things that we can't, in essence, contain tangibly, because God's being is outside of our ability to, to actually contain him. Um, and, and so you see the same thing here. Now, the interesting thing, and just so you know, because I think it's important as we read this context, as you're diving into scripture, which I know you are, um, the one who asked the question, um, but the book of the covenant, and this is an interesting fact for me, so you're welcome for this. At this point, God had already called Moses up to the mountain. God gave Moses in verbal form, the 10 commandments as we call them, uh, which is interesting because they're actually called words and they're referred to as words in the Hebrew. So they are like 10 words, almost like life principles. They're not necessarily law and commandments, which is interesting. Um, but he, he verbally gave God, Moses, the 10 commandments and all that it entails, And then it was put in a written form by humans. So by Moses and his scribe put it together. So when it refers to the book of the covenant here, he's actually taking chapters 21 to 23 for sure and rehashing them. So when he reads the book of covenant, he actually just rehashes out loud. He reads what is written out loud and to the entire people. And that's where they say, well, we will be obedient, which again, which is if only they knew. (laughs) Uh, And so then when God says to Moses, come back up here, I'll give you the stone tablets it's actually then referring to the stone tablets that we understand as the 10 commandments that Moses comes down the mountain after the people party and worship a different God. He slams and breaks and things like that. um, But it's, it's just just an interesting distinction that was confusing for me, which is why I had to do the research for it. Uh, But they stand there seeing uh, a part or a glimpse of God. They're not actually seeing God and hanging out with God. Like Evan and I are doing at a table right now. They're, they're communing, they're communing, if you will, in the presence of God in fellowship and drinking and eating much like, um is was was pretty practical for that time specifically but, right so i hope that kind of answers your question. It's, like i said it's a little bit sideways stepping off but providing some clarity to it so. all right so question 2 um reading it
0: all about the tent of meeting the clothing of the priest etc reminds me of something i'd read about the priest needing to wear a rope around his ankle so that he could be pulled out if he died with the other priests violating the sanctity of the holy of holies only to discover that it's a myth boo uh, our listener writes, "Boo!" So fun, with
1: an exclamation point.
0: So fun question. Uh, what biblical notion have had turned out to be a big bag of hooey?
1: So, my, I mean, mine to be honest with you is that one right there. Is like I remember hearing all the time. Oh, yeah, you hear the, it all the time as a kid. Priest, yeah. The priest would ride, wrap a rope around their ankle. I think I remember hearing it in college or whatever. Um, not that my professors were idiots, but it was probably one of the things that was alluded to, and I was tuned in, tuned out in class, and so I didn't hear all the context, but. Uh, And it's funny because recently reading through, um, I actually think it was the book of Hebrews that I'm working through right now, uh, but it's the idea the priests wore bells so that way people could hear him moving around and doing and performing the duty he had to in the Holy of Holies. And if the bell stopped ringing while he was in there, then they would know he was dead. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So anyways, that that was probably the biggest one. I was telling Evan, I said, I'm kind of boring and kind of trustworthy in the sense of the things that I'm reading and learning. I don't dive super deep into them. And so I don't really cling to them as truth. I think like Lucifer being the the morning star kind of thing was one, but
0: yeah, know. I think it, it's funny with, um, how much of how much of what we believe today is based off of like medieval myth. Yeah. Um, and so that's where, like, I think most of them Freaking come in crusades. Well, yeah. So like the whole like idea of like, yeah, Lucifer, like the whole backstory of the devil, almost all of that is kind of just fiction. Yeah. Um, yeah. All we know in the Bible is there's one section that says, Oh, morning, morning star that we think alludes to the devil, but there's not like, but then you read it in context and it actually, I don't know if it does. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if it does either. Just crazy. It's very, it's a very open handed It's a very
1: ambiguous, vague concept. there.
0: Yeah. And and the big reason for that is honestly like, uh, like the Satan is not the main character of the Bible. And so there's not a bunch of, there's not a bunch of backstory put into it because like, who cares? And so like, it's about God. It's about God's relationship with his people.
1: I love that distinguishment. I I love the fact that we have to remember that because oftentimes we, we search things just to find answers. Yeah. Well, I just want to know more. I want to know more about the bad guy. Like there's a point where a Gideon, my son, who's three now, he'll always talk about, dad, you, I want to be the bad guy. What? Why? (laughs) and sometimes there's that's that so I, th- I think that's a really good distinction too
0: yeah so there's those there's um i would just like to kind of rattle off a few i think the idea of there being layers of hell is a is a medieval idea mm-hmm. um dante in particular yep um dante's inferno there's funny ones where like i think there's a lot of people who do believe that like heaven's just like us in clouds and that's like a tom
1: and jerry thing <laughs> but, in uh in diapers yeah and harps like looking like babies
0: Yeah. There's a bunch, it's, it's mostly stuff like that. The idea that, uh, the idea that Satan is in charge of hell, like that we go to hell to be punished by Satan. That's a very, um, medieval thought as well. I think you just
1: blew some people's minds.
0: I know. Yeah. Like hell, hell is, um, God is in control of hell. Like hell is God punishing. It's not Satan punishing. Mm -hmm. Satan is being punished in hell along
1: with everyone else. And it's God punishing for rebellion and rejection. Yeah. Like it's, that's what it's punishment for. And it wasn't even intended for humanity. Right. Hell right. was intended for the devil and his followers, his, his, his demons. Um, and in our humanity, we think we're knowing just as much. So, yeah.
0: So there you go. Uh, that's probably more, uh, that's probably more Greek thought making yeah. it in too, just because like you have the underworld that's ruled by Hades. And so maybe that kind of leaks in because it, it yeah. seems like that's pretty early on, but yeah, there's nowhere in the Bible is it said that, uh, like, like, yeah, God gave Satan hell and Satan gets to rule. They're like, nope, that's not, it's no. not the power dynamic. He gets punished hell. Yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, there you go. Those are a few things. Um, I think I've, I've said this on the podcast before, but it, it was a really helpful analogy when I heard it. Um, and it, it's funny too, cause it's not like, it's, he's not like a Christian theologian. He's like a politics podcast I listen to, but he's a Christian. So he like brought this up, but he was talking about how uh, so much of Christianity and so much of of, um, of your faith really is, it's like a boat. Um, and mm-hmm. the more that you drive the boat, the longer the boat is around, the more barnacles are going to be on the bottom of the boat. And part of our job as Christians is, is to scrape off barnacles and and, and make sure that we're, we're holding fast to the truth and not to tradition, um, not blind tradition. And so I, I think it's a really helpful analogy that there is like, there's base Christian truth and in every culture across the world and there's always barnacles that get attached from specific mm-hmm. cultures and we need to do the work of making sure that we're keeping the, keeping the whole of the boat clean, if you will. Interesting.
1: So there you go. This is a dumb question. Totally tangent, I shouldn't even ask it. Um, but can barnacles form on boats that move? Or well, is it when they're, it when they're resting in water? I guess in when they the rest. Water? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just, I was just curious. Like it totally does not to try and blow your analogy. No, up. no, it just, you're right. I guess, uh, I but guess. But they're right. Cause there is work for, if you have boats that are, are, are holed up in the water, you dock them in the water and don't pull them out all the time. Then, the, yeah, the barnacles will develop. And it is your job as a, yeah. as a boat owner at that point to make sure that the boat is well. And the, it impedes the ability of the boat to drive as it was designed to.
0: And you even see this with, um, Sorry, I'll say this, and we'll move on to the last question. But you even see this in the in the New Testament when it's referencing. Is it Jude that references like Michael fighting over Moses's body oh, with I Satan? Remember. It's one of the New Testament letters. I don't remember. So now which you're to bring
1: up another question. Yeah,
0: but but anyway, no. That's an example of like that's nowhere in the Bible, and so what that probably is is um, Hebrew tradition bleeding its way into. Um. Uh, in into the Bible. It's, it's a barnacle, I guess you could say, of ancient Hebrew. Yes, it was Jude. Good Jude. job.
1: <laughs> yes. All right. So there you go. Verse nine. Yet Michael and the archangel were disputing with the devil in an argument about Moses's body. He did not dare utter a slanderous condemnation against him and said, the Lord rebuke you. So there
0: you go. Anywho. All right. Moving on to question three and our final question. Reading through scripture about covenants and Jesus dying, as well as the study I've been trying to put together. Why are you a Christian? It's easy to get the can, Jesus is my savior, and he died on the cross for me a bit. But if you had to personalize it to a non-Christian, what would you say? And what would you recommend us listeners do to prepare for such a question? So good. Yeah. I mean, so I guess so. to take the second part of it first, what would you recommend us listeners do to prepare for such a question? Um, It's a very important thing to prepare for. Um, And I forgot how Peter phrases it, but to paraphrase, it's basically be ready to give an account. Um, and so like when, when people ask first Peter three 15, there you go. So like wh- when people ask, why are you a Christian, you should be able to give an answer. Um, and that doesn't mean it needs like, that doesn't mean, you know, it needs to be like the most eloquent thing ever written, but you should spend the time to really think through, um, <coughs> the reasons that you are a Christian and they're all really different too, which is kind of, it's, it's fun to get to hear, um, different people. Cause I imagine Aaron, me and you will probably have really different answers to this as well. The same exact answer. There you go. I'm just kidding.
1: (laughs) Whatever Um, Evan said.
0: Like for, for me, it really was, um, an intellectual reasoning. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's not to say that's the only aspect of anything. Um, but, but honestly, like I remember, um, I grew up in church, so there's never really been a time in my life where I that wasn't the expectation, right? And so I remember I was at, um, at a party when I was like probably 15, 16, give or take. Um, I was in high school, and then I was just kind of like having some struggles with my faith. And then this guy was like, oh, dude, have you read Mere Christianity? You should read mm-hmm. it. And I was like, okay. So like I read it. And I sat down, I think I read the whole, cause it's, it's, it's three books, right? There's book one, book two, book three. I think yep. I read the whole of book one, just start to finish at that, at the party. So, which just shows wow. how, how fun of a person I was. But, but no, like honestly. At a, at a party? Well, like when I say party, I mean like just a f- friend's hanging out, not like.
1: That's not a party. Not like
0: teen movie Why party. I don't know. We were just playing Halo. So anyway. Oh, Halo party.
1: Halo You, part- you read, you read Mere Christian at a Halo party? Dude, it was, it's a great book. <laughs> you are a lame, no, i just so, kidding. That's actually, that's actually pretty funny. Um, Not but, like that. Haha, ha, You're an idiot. Funny, but yeah, so, ironic.
0: Funny. So for for me, there's there's two. Uh, and I'll just leave it here. There, there's two arguments that are really convincing for me um, as far as like, is there a God, and then is that God the God of the Bible? And so the, the first one being, I'll I'll rapid fire these really quick. But um, this one was articulated to me by R. C. Sproul, but he was not the first person to come up with it. He, I just kind of listened to a series of messages he had on it, but it, it was really good. And essentially, the idea is, um, if there was ever a time. When truly nothing existed, then nothing could ever exist. Um, and as humans, we have a hard time comprehending what nothing means. Because we'll say like, you know, at the, at the beginning of the universe, there was nothing. Um, well, that, that can't be true. Because if there was ever nothing, something can't come out of nothing. So you have to believe, whether you're a Christian, whether you're an atheist, regardless of your worldview, you have to believe that something has always existed. Mm-hmm. It was never created. It just is You have to believe that. Um And so it's, it's very easy to reason from that stance that if there is something that has always existed, um, there's a ton of el- evidence that that thing is intelligent. Um, because if it's just these random systems that ag- exist in time, um, but aren't subject to change, then it doesn't make sense as to why all of a sudden you get the massive expansion of the universe. There, there's, there's, there should be reasons why things happen. Yeah. And we can't really comprehend yeah, as humans, as finite beings, we can't comprehend the ideas of eternity. We can't comprehend the ideas of nothingness. But because there, there has to be something and that something has to be eternal. Yeah. For, for me, at least, it's a very easy step to take that. That's God. Yeah. Um, and the second one, this is more C.S. Lewis in, the, in Mere Christianity. But at, as humans, we have this sense of, of oughtness is what he calls it. But basically this idea of we know what we should do. Um, and there's there's values that are universal, and Christianity, um, or Judeo-Christian ethics, I guess I'll phrase it that way, are the only thing that makes true sense of the world. Um, if you if you plug in the world and you plug in everything that's happening, it's the only thing that truly makes sense. And you have you also have to believe in God in order to believe in morality. Because if there is no God, if there's nothing you're appealing to, there's no such thing as something being objectively bad. Like you can't say. The Holocaust was a bad thing, but also there's no such thing as objective morality. Like, no, those things can't be true. What you're saying is um, I would prefer that the Holocaust never happened and it makes me sad, but you can't say that it was bad. Um, And therefore you can't say that, like, you can't say that Hitler is evil. You just have to say that, like, well, Hitler had a different morality than me and he did things that I don't agree with. And so... Um, And if that, if that sits bad with you, it should, because Mm -hmm. we have this idea that it's, it's wrong. Um, And so if there is, if there truly is a universal ethic, um, there's a morality outside of us. When you look at the different ethics of different societies, the ones that maintain, the ones that really don't have to change um, are the Judeo-Christian ethics. And I don't mean that they don't have to change in the sense of like, you obviously have to transplant them into different cultures, but the basic tenets of what it means to be a moral person have not changed. Yeah. And so um, that for me is why I'm a Christian. And so there's, and, and maybe that's a lame answer, because I know for a lot of people, it's like a, a very personal, um, like spiritual thing. And that's not to say that there haven't been those moments, but for me, it really was early on, I was having kind of like, spiritual relational moments, which were great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I for me the big hurdle to jump over was the intellectual um can I truly believe this? Yeah. And so that's where I think it comes. So that was that was it for me. Yeah.
1: No, I love it, man. I think that's I mean, I'm sitting here laughing in my head because my my answer is so is the opposite f- side of this. I figured extreme, it would right. be the we'd um, opposite on this. And and that's I think I'm laughing because it's this is the the beauty of God's created. Beings. Like this is the beauty of, of humanity and mankind where we are so diverse and God has wired us so differently to respond and think and act differently. Um, and so for me, like it's I I keep going back to my experience has justified my stance and my faith as a Christian. Um, everything that I have, I have lived as I reflect back on my life, the the sense of value, the sense of meaning, the sense of purpose, the sense of uh, of truth that exists and can only be found in Christ, I have yet to be shown. Or experience something that would co- be contrary to what I have learned and what I'm learning in faith in Christ, um, and and part of it is I had a, I had a really solid foundation I think, par- but um, it's I've taken the little bit about God's word that I know, the little bit of truth that I know, and and have diligently tried to just hold on to it until it falls away, which sounds so bad, like it's almost like a you've done the intellectual work. And in me, this sounds um, this isn't like uh, uh, trying to be antagonistic. I don't need the intellectual work to justify my faith in Christ. And I love that that's the beauty of the uh, of of christianity i would I would say mm-hmm. um, I think there's value to it, and I love that's why I think you and I have at times had tense moments in our in our conversations throughout our life together, uh, which has been eight years, bro. You're welcome for that. Oh, dang. um but it's, we've, we've sharpened each other. I think we've helped develop and deepen. And I have a more intellectual understanding of my faith than, than I had, you know, eight years ago and 10 years ago and things like that. So, um, but I have had genuine, sincere moments where I think God has clearly spoken to me. Um, and I have genuine, sincere moments and senses of God's word being illuminated to me by the Holy spirit. And so, uh, so the reason why I'm a Christian is I think, um, the hope that we, and this is, that's the first Peter passage, be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. Um, and, and sometimes it it, it gets confused with the statement of like, be ready in season and out of season. That's actually something from first Timothy, just so you know, to preach the word in season, and out of season, be ready. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's the idea of be ready to give an answer for the hope you have. You, we have to be ready for that. And so it kind of bleeds into the next question where um I think our job as Christians is not to find some talking points from someone else to answer and be able to argue and you know, defend the faith. I don't think the faith needs defending. I think um, testimonies need to be shared about the faith and how God has transformed lives and how God is redeeming hum- humanity. I think there's, there has to be more conversations about my experience or our experiences with faith in Christ than me having to defend quote unquote scripture.
0: Yeah. When, um, well, so I was just to interject, I think when, when people who are close to you ask why you're a Christian, they're not asking for like, give me some books to read defending the faith. Like yeah. you said, they are asking Sh- for like, share your story. Like, yeah, you personally, like why? And, and, and your personal story to people that you know is always going to be more powerful yeah. than and, anything and else. And the
1: thing is no one can argue with your story. True. You can't sit in and say hey, your story is invalid. You, you don't know that you haven't lived my story. You haven't lived my experiences. Um. So anyways, all that to say, I mean, to go back to a very definitive moment in my life, much like you did, I remember sitting in a van driving across the country. And I think I've said this in youth ministry a few times, mm-hmm. like, um, I grew up in the church. So there was a foundation and a knowledge of God and the, the idea of God. But I remember sitting in a van, driving across the country at the end of my freshman year, getting ready to step into my sophomore year of high school. And I just realized like I've never given this a fair shot. And it's an actual opportunity. I mean, literally at 15 years old, I remember the thought being, this is a really good opportunity for a fresh start in my faith. And it was one of those, like, huh, okay, yeah, that's a good idea moments in that van, driving across the country with my family. And that's where it started for me. That's where for me beginning to own my faith and not just hear about it and agree with it. But in that moment, I began to see and experience God's favor, God's love, God's grace, God's truth. Um, and I found meaning, I found value and I have purpose. Um, we use the word belonging here at the Grove a lot. Um, and and I really did feel like I finally belong somewhere into something. So um, I have yet to to experience something that pulls me out of that. So um, the, the second part of the question, I would simply say this, um, In Philippians 2, there's a passage that uh, I think this is what we should be doing as as followers of Christ to do. And it says this, therefore, my dear brothers, uh, my dear friends, and this is Philippians 2, 12 and 13, just as you have always obeyed. So now, uh, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I think our responsibility as Christians is to do the hard work of working out our fear or our salvation with fear and trembling. And it's not this like fearfulness of like, oh, God, if I don't get this right, I'm screwed. Um, but it's this idea of, he continues on in verse 13, which is so crazy. It's for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. We have to understand that our faith is not centered on us. It's centered on Christ and what he has done. And so I think our responsibility as Christians is to do the hard work on a regular basis, daily basis to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, recognizing it's not about me. It's not about what I can do but it's about what God has already done through Christ and what he's actively doing in me to both will and desire to do what pleases him. Uh, And so I think for, for you listening, if you have yet to be able to work out your own salvation, why are you saved? How has God's grace saved you? Because you're saved by, by grace, not faith. You respond in faith, but you're saved by grace. If you haven't worked out that conversation of grace yet for your life, that's where you need to start. And I would say, once you start there, don't ever leave there. Um, because that's what sets us in motion to continually walk in humility with the Lord. So um, work out your own salvation. Um, I'm a Christian because I had some moments and experienced God's love and value and purpose, and then to live and, and share that love with others. So,
0: There you go. I think it's a beautiful spot to end it right there. Of course, because I just said, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that, that does it for another episode of let's read the Bible. Uh, just as a reminder, we are a podcast of the Grove church, but we're not the only podcast of the Grove church. You can find all of our other resources and podcasts on our website at grove.church.
1: Have a great day, guys. Thanks for the questions.